0: Turn to Luke chapter 15, if you would, we began looking at this chapter last week in our study of Luke's gospel, and we saw that chapter 15 is a chapter full of parables. There's the parable of the lost sheep, there's the parable of the lost silver, and then there's the parable of the lost son. And the root meaning of all three of these parables is essentially the same, it's God desires the salvation of sinners. God desires the salvation of sinners. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see that Jesus Christ is the star of that parable. In the parable of the lost sheep, He is presented to us as the good shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In the parable of the lost silver, Jesus is the star of that parable. Because He's presented as the one who came to seek and to save the lost. To turn on the lamp, to turn on the light. He is the light of the world. And He did come to seek and to save that which was lost. And now this morning, as we come to Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and that third parable, the parable of the lost son, Jesus Christ is yet again the star of the parable. And in this parable, He is is pictured as a gracious Father. A merciful, forgiving, compassionate father. So the main character in today's story is not the prodigal son. We title it the prodigal son. He's not the main character. The main character is Jesus Christ, the gracious father. Not the prodigal son, but the faithful son, Jesus Christ. This parable is not about a sinner. This parable is about lavish Grace, And you're going to hear that throughout the message, that this parable is about lavish grace. Luke chapter 15, let's begin in verse number 11. It's, he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Verse 17, But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy To be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat, and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25, Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. This parable is about lavish grace. Look at the grace poured out in the midst of such a sad story. We see the story begin with the rebellion of the son. The rebellion of the son in verses 11 through 13. Jesus said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose Living Now, probably the thing that rubs us wrong about this parable, this much of the parable thus far, is primarily that he would take his inheritance and he would squander it. That he would take his inheritance and that he would waste it. That he would take his inheritance and flush it, so to speak. That bothers us. But in this culture and in this context, the most offensive thing that we've read thus far is not that he squandered his inheritance, but that he would ask for his inheritance. For a son to go to his father and say to his father, give me my inheritance, get out the filing cabinet, pull out the will, call in the lawyer, give me what's coming to me, was in essence to say to his father, I wish you were dead, but since you won't die, just give me what I got coming to me now. I can't wait. And a son of, uh, and in this culture, you have to keep in mind that this is not a, a guilt Kind of culture, a, a sin, guilt kind of culture. This is an honor-shame kind of culture. So it was a lot more offensive to dishonor someone than it was to sin. So here's this son who, yes, he's sinning against his father. That's one level. But the big level is he is shaming his father. He, he is shaming his father by saying, Give me what I have coming to me. I wish you were dead. Listen, in this culture... For a son to do what this son did to his father. Here is the normal response from a Middle Eastern father in this context when his son came to him and did what this son did. The the common response would be the father would slap the son. He would not only slap the son, but he would declare that this son is no longer part of the family and that this son is dead to him they would even go so far in some cases as not only to say you're not part of this family and you're dead to me but they would actually have a funeral and they would have a funeral to declare to the community the tight-knit small community that knew everybody's business they would declare to the community that this son is gone he's dead he's out of the picture and this is what the Pharisees are expecting. The Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, they're listening to this story. They hear what this son has done and they're thinking in their mind, any father worth his salt would slap this son, would disown this son, would declare this son as dead. Think about what happens in Middle Eastern cultures today when someone converts to Christianity and is baptized. What do they do? If they don't, Physically persecute them, they say, You're no longer part of the family. You're dead to me. And all communication is cut off. This is what the Pharisees expected. This is what the scribes expected. This is what the lawyers expected. But instead of punishment, Jesus throws a twist in this story. Instead of the norm, this father gives this son what he does not deserve. He calls in the lawyers. He pulls out the will. And he dishes out the inheritance. Lavish grace. When he should have slapped him. When he should have disowned him. When he should have said you're dead. He calls in the lawyer. He pulls out the will. And he dishes out the inheritance. He gives him what he does not deserve. This is lavish grace. And we have all done the same Thing to our Lord. We've all done the same thing. We have all chosen to reject His commands. We have all chosen to refuse His authority in many, many areas of our life. We have all chosen to go our own way while expecting Him to give us our best life now. We want to come and we want to add Jesus onto our life We want to come and we want to get our fire insurance. We want to get our ticket to heaven. And now, Jesus, now that we've got our ticket to heaven, we want you to make all of my exploits, all of my plans, all of my dreams, everything I want to do with my life come to pass. We want you to bless us. We want you to give us everything we want. We want you to give us our best life now. But don't interfere with my life from here on out. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to chart my own course. In a way, what we say to God is, you're dead to me. You can't tell me what to do. You can't dictate my life. Just give me my life and leave me alone. And I want you to hear me very clearly here. God would be fully right. God would be fully just. And God would be perfectly fair. The first time we sin, the first time we break His command, The first time we reject His authority, the first time we go our own way, He would be perfectly right, just, and fair to strike us dead and send us to hell. We want to talk about God being fair. Well, this isn't fair. Fair is the first time we sin. The first time we do our own thing outside of God's authority, the first time we step out of line, what's fair and what's just and what's right would be for God to put us to death on the spot and send us to hell. Think about this. We are created from dust and to dust we will return. Here is a creature from the dust who has the audacity to look at the almighty, sovereign, unchanging God who created them and sustained them and say, No. We have the audacity to say no. You know, the sun gets up in the east every morning. The sun goes down in the west every evening. Just as God commands it. The winds blow. The rain comes. The flowers bloom. The cows moo. The sheep low. The ducks quack. The chickens cluck. The butterflies buzz. Everything happens... Exactly as God tells it to happen. And we have the audacity of all the creatures on planet Earth, of all of the creation, to look Him in the eye and say, No. Every last living one of us deserves to be dead and in hell right now. Right now. And God would be perfectly just and fair to do it. The wages of sin is what? Death. And we have all sinned. And come short of the glorious standard of God. The only reason we are not dead and in hell as rebellious children is because of lavish grace. That's it. The only reason we're breathing here this morning lavish grace. The only way we can be sitting in this room right now lavish, lavish grace. See the rebellion of the son. And then in verses 14 to 16, we see the ruin of the son. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. The parties ended for this son. His funds have ran out, his friends have run off, and a famine has set in. He's lost his inheritance, he's lost his hope. So he finds himself a job feeding the pigs. It's quite ironic that of all the things for a Jewish young man to find himself doing, it would be feeding pigs. The rabbis actually have been quoted as saying, cursed is the person who breeds swine. And here's this young Jewish boy who's in the midst of the swine, feeding pigs. The pigs, the lowest of the low. He is ruined. And what is his father doing while his son is out in the middle of the pig pen? I think it's safe for us to assume. And I know it's dangerous for us to assume, but I think it's safe for us to assume in this, in this context, at this place, that the father is waiting and watching for him. If you skip down to verse 20, it says that while he was a great way off, his father saw him. How on earth is he going to see his son coming when he's still a great way off unless he is watching for him, unless he is waiting for him? This father had every right to go about his business. This father had every right to forget he had a son. This father had every right to write him off, presume him is dead, presume him is gone forever, and yet what do we see him doing? We see him looking out across the the horizon, waiting, looking for his son. Again, lavish grace. And here we find ourselves again in the story. We've all rejected the Father's authority. We have all rebelled against His commandments. We have all gone our own way, and it never, ever ends well. The wages of sin is not life, and it's surely not life abundant. The wages of sin is death if you think about it, many, if not most of the troubles we experience, we get ourselves into. We might want to blame God. We might want to blame the devil. But most of the time, the guilty culprit is looking back at us in the mirror when we get up in the morning. A lot of the times, we get what we deserve. But our Father watches and waits so patiently, doesn't He? When I mean, you think if He was just and right and fair to kill us and send us to hell at our first offense, can we, do we have enough time this morning for just any one of us, the best one of us, the best one of us in this room to just list off all of our offenses? Do we have time for just the very best person in the room to stand up and list off all of their offenses against God from birth to this point in their life? We don't have time. If we were to write every offense on a scroll, it would unroll from here out the front door of the worship center and probably on out and across the street into the park, across the street, and it might go on and on and on. So if God is just and fair and right to, to put us to death and send us to hell at our first offense, what kind of grace and patience and mercy and compassion does it take to put up with a constant rebellion against our Creator God? But He waits, and His mercy endures, this lavish grace. The rebellion of the Son, the ruin of the Son, and now in verses 17 to 20, we see the repentance of the Son. When He came to His senses, when He came to His senses, He said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. The son is awakened to his sin. In these verses, he sees his sin, he sees his situation, and he sees the solution. He formulates a plan, and he begins to carry out the plan. He leaves the pig pen, and he begins to make his way home. And now that he's making his way home, the Pharisees are thinking, All right, finally, he's going to get what a Jewish boy should get. Because you see, in this context, when a wayward son like this, who has dishonored his father like this, returns home like this, what he gets is not open arms. What he gets is a public shaming. A public shaming. A father in these circumstances would have his son often sit outside of the gate in public view for several days. He shows up, he has to sit outside of the gate while the father sits inside and waits on his son to be sufficiently Shamed. As his son is sitting outside the gate for several days, it doesn't matter if the winds are blowing, it doesn't matter if the sun is scorching, it doesn't matter if the rains are pouring. He sits out in the elements, the village, the community. They all know what's happened. They all know how the son has dishonored his father. They are all angry at the son for dishonoring his father. So they come by and they mock him and they scoff at him, and some of them likely spit upon him. This is what the Pharisees expect to happen. But look at what happens in verse twenty. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I want you to notice that the, the the Jews not only got upset for Jesus, got upset with Jesus because he was stealing some of their thunder. They not only got upset with Jesus because He was stealing and taking away some of their power. The Jews were getting upset with Jesus because He was upsetting their whole culture. Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't come into our culture and adapt Himself to our culture. Jesus comes into cultures and conforms them into His culture. So He comes to the Jews... And their culture says this son should be shamed. This son should be disowned. This son should be treated as dead. This son should not be allowed to come back home. This son should be shamed outside of the gate. And he says, oh no, no. The son's not shamed. The son's not set outside of the gate. Actually, the father runs to him. And in this culture of honor, especially in a situation like this, it would be nothing extraordinary if the father just simply turned a blind eye to the son. But yet here we see, rather than the father shunning the son, he's running to the son. Noblemen in that country and in that culture did not run. They walked in a dignified manner. They held their head high. They had their stately gait. And they walked in a dignified manner. And the Greek word here, when it says that the father ran, is a Greek word not for jogging, but for sprinting like an athlete in a race. It is as if the father gathered up the hem of his robe and he ran with all that he had to get to his son. And not only did he run to him, but he ran to him and he embraced him. The pig-smelling, filthy son He embraced Him. And not only did He run to Him and embrace the swine of a son, but He kissed Him. And the verb tense in the literal Greek there means that He didn't just kiss Him, but He repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly kissed Him. And the Jews are just fuming this isn't fair. This isn't just. This isn't right. But Jesus... Is showing them lavish grace. Verse twenty-one. The son says to the father, "Father, I have sinned against heaven." Did you remember? Do you remember the speech he rehearsed? The speech he re- rehearsed back in verse eighteen and nineteen. He says, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now he makes it home. And in verse 21, he begins to rehearse his speech, his plan. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. So far, so good. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So far, so good. But verse 22, the father just interrupts. And he says to his slaves. He doesn't even let the son finish His spill. He doesn't even let the son finish his his plan. He doesn't let the son finish saying, please, I, I know I don't deserve to be your son. Just make me a servant. Make me a hired servant. And the father just interrupts him. No need. No need, son. You're home. And here I hope we find ourselves this morning again in this story. Because, yes, we've all rejected God's authority. Yes, we have all rebelled against His commands. Yes, we have all gone our own way. And we have all suffered just a small smidgen of an extent the consequences of our sin. Whether it's physical health, whether it's mental health, whether it's emotional health, whether it's financial well being. We've all suffered to an extent the consequences of our sin. Our marriages have been, have suffered. Our families have spiraled into dysfunction. Churches have lost their power. Our society has degenerated into absolute moral chaos. We we suffer the consequences of our sin to an extent, but listen to me the moment, the moment we come to our senses, The moment we repent, regardless of the physical consequence, regardless of the mental, emotional, financial, marital, family consequence, the minute we come to our senses and repent, Jesus Christ meets us. He runs to us. He embraces us. He kisses us. He doesn't meet us with an angry eye. He doesn't meet us with disdain. He meets us with lavish grace. We find grace. We find forgiveness. We find a warm reception. And we find that there is no, no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came to this earth to live the perfect, righteous, sinless Life that God demands and requires of us. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and took upon Himself on that cross our sin, our iniquity, our transgressions. And there, our sin was judged in full in Christ on that cross. And now because Jesus' sacrifice has been accepted and because He has conquered hell and death and the grave and He has risen victoriously and triumphantly, listen, because of that we can exchange places with Jesus this morning and He can take our place under judgment and we can take His place under no condemnation. We can swap places with Christ. Christ. And find no condemnation. Just open arms. John 1.12 says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become not servants or slaves, but children of God. Even to those who believe in His name. Lavish grace. Fourthly, we see the restoration of the Son. In verse 22, quickly, the Father says, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on Not just a robe, but the best robe. Every nobleman had a choice robe. An expensive, ornate, embroidered, one-of-a-kind, floor-length outer garment of the highest quality fabric and craftsmanship. It was a kind of robe reserved for an extremely prestigious dignitary, for a real nobleman. And the father says, don't go, just go get him some clean clothes, but go get him the best robe. And put a ring on his hand. Not just a a diamond ring or a gold ring, but the ring is a signet ring. It has the family crest in its center so that he can press that ring into wax and leave the family seal. He has been given back authority as the son of the nobleman. He's given the authority to make decisions and to seal those decisions and to speak for his father. Give him a ring and put sandals on his feet. And the sandals don't sound like a but in that day, hired servants and slaves went barefoot. Only, only masters and their sons had shoes. So it was this, as if he was saying, "You're not a hired servant. You're not a slave. You're a son." In verse twenty-three, bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us celebrate. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Notice he says, bring the fatted calf, not bring a fattened calf. These families would set aside a choice calf, and they would keep it separated from the the herd. And they would feed it choice grain. And they would care for it. And they would reserve it. Hear me now. They would reserve it for the day when the oldest son would get married. The only other time that that fattened calf might be used is when a dignitary came to visit, or an extremely important person. And this fattened calf would be taken, and he would be killed, and he would be processed. It would take all evening, and it would feed hundreds of people. And he says, bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they begin to celebrate. It would not be unusual for a party such as this to last three days or more. Go back to verse number 7 in, in Luke chapter 15 that we saw last week. What did Jesus say? When the, sh- when the shepherd finds the lost sheep he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What happens when the woman finds her lost coin what happens when the one who came to seek and to save the lost finds the one that is lost in verse number 10 jesus says in the same way i tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents what happens when the prodigal comes home to the gracious and the merciful father they kill the fatted calf and they throw a party that lasts several days lavish grace that's what happens Lavish grace. And listen, aren't we waiting? If we know Him and He knows us, aren't we waiting for a feast like that in heaven? You deserve that? Do I deserve that? No, we deserve hell, remember? We deserve death, remember, for one little sin. We especially deserve death and hell and the grave for our litany of sins that would reach across the road and across the park and on and on and on. And yet, what do we have to look forward to? We get to look forward to a party. We get to look forward to a feast. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. Not because of what we have done or not done, but because of what Christ has done for us. This is all really good news. If we have any concept of who God really is, and we have any concept of who we really are, this is really, really good news. That we don't get what we deserve. We get lavish grace. The good shepherd leaves the 99 to find you. The one who came to seek and to save the lost turns the light on and sweeps the room and searches the corners for you. The gracious and merciful Father is looking for you, waiting for you, ready to run to you, embrace you, kiss you, and celebrate the fact that you've come to Him. Lavish grace. The excessive grace and mercy of the Father was not met with open arms by everyone, though. We read on in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He may have noticed that the fattened calf that was likely being saved for his wedding day is missing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. Maybe someone important has come home. Maybe someone important is visiting and dad is taking the fattened calf and they're having a party and I'm going to get to rub shoulders with a dignitary. I'm going to get to hobnob with someone who can help me elevate my position in the community. What's going on? Verse 27, he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Thank God my brothers come home. N- n- well, that's not exactly what happens here. We laugh, but you know we do the exact same thing. You know good and well you would do the exact same thing. You know, and here's, here's how I can prove it. Because if you're in a family with multiple siblings, you know who you think is your parents' favorite. And it's usually the one that doesn't live really close by. You notice that? Like, I moved away. I became the superstar. I was the youngest. Moved away. I'm a superstar. People who live close, they just always are making them angry. Or, you know, just crossing. It just happens. That's the way. So, so the, you're sitting here. You're the one close. You're the one been working in the fields. You're the one been taking care of father. You're the one been trying to uphold the family name. And then here comes younger sibling that swoops in. And everything stops. I kind of get the stink eye a little bit from my sister and my brother sometimes. So I know. And you you know, right? And you may feel that way. Why is that one getting the attention? They don't really deserve it. I've been here all along. And there's some truth in that. So his anger, we feel it. We understand it. He became angry in verse 28 and was not willing to go in. I'm not going in to celebrate that. This is ridiculous. And his father came out and began pleading with him. He's pleading with him to come in. Say, your brother, join the party. This is a great day. But he answered in verse 29 and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Not even a young goat. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, but this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fat and calf for him. You feel that, don't you? But he said to him in verse 31, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. The end, Jesus, in stories in the most strange way. Could you imagine watching this movie? And then at the end of the movie, your brother's been found. Credits roll. You're going, this is not done yet. This is not the only time he does this stuff. He just like stops. What? You didn't finish the story, Jesus. You agree? You know why he didn't finish the story? I can tell you why he didn't finish the story. Do you want to know why he didn't finish the story? Because the story had yet to completely play out. The story wasn't over yet. Did this brother go in and celebrate Jesus? Time will tell. Did this brother walk away angry, Jesus? Time will tell. The ending is not here, and it leaves us hanging because the true ending is yet to be written. But the ending has been written now. Do you want to hear the ending? Do you want to hear how the story ends? It might be a little disappointing. But this is how the story ends. The father figure in the parable represents who? Jesus Christ. The younger son in the parable represents the heathen, the publicans, the tax collectors, the the pig-smelling Gentiles like us. And the older brother represents the Pharisees and religious leaders. Now remember, go back to verses 1 and 2. You remember the context of these three parables. In verses 1 and 2, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So we've got Jesus, the star of the parable, We've got the younger brother who is the heathen, the tax collector, the sinner. We've got the older brother who's the Pharisee and the scribes. And here's how the story ends. The elder son was outraged at his father. So he turned some of the servants against him and some of the community against him and he murdered him right in the very middle of the feast. Kind of liked it better when the ending wasn't there. But that's how the story ends. The older brother, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews, get so angry that they turn The Jewish people who had just laid their palm branches in the street and said, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. They turn those people into people who say, Crucify Him, let His blood be upon us and upon our children. And they murder Him right in the middle of the feast of Passover. And every one of us who hears this story today will write our own endings. The ending was left off because you are going to write your own ending right now this morning. You are going to leave this place like the older brother, like the Pharisee, saying, God, look at what I have done. I walked that aisle when I was a child. I prayed that prayer. I got baptized. I joined that church. I have taught Sunday school. I have served as a deacon. I read my Bible. I pray. I put my money in that plate. And how dare that preacher even question whether or not you're pleased with me? Look at all that I've done. And you'll walk out of here like a Pharisee, like an older brother today, agitated. Look at all these people in this community who are less than I am. If only they were as good as me and made such wise decisions as I have, just would get in church and get their life right. Or, you're going to leave here like a prodigal. You're going to leave here and you're going to squander the days you have left and you're going to live the rest of your life in a pig pen. And you're going to blame it on somebody else. Well, if just my parents weren't the way they were. If my peers had not led me astray. If life wasn't so busy. If I didn't love my sin so much. If, 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 if. And you're going to leave here and you're going to squander the rest of your life living in the pig pen, suffering the consequences, and blaming everybody else. Or, you can leave here like a repenting son and a repenting daughter who's come to your senses and has found full, complete restoration and forgiveness. Those are your three options. Do you want to leave like a self-righteous, religious Pharisee that looks squeaky clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones? Do you want to leave like a prodigal and run back to the pig pen and the squalor? Or do you want to leave like a son? who's been restored to the Father and has peace with God and has been forgiven and made right with Him. Well, you know what our hope is for you. You know what our prayer is for you. And I want you to know that if you this morning will choose the latter, option three, and come to your senses, repent of your sin, Come to Christ. He will run to you. He will embrace you. He will kiss you. And He will receive you as one of His own. No condemnation. Let's pray. Father, as we bow for these moments as we pray as a church family during these moments as we respond to your still small voice I pray that you would help us to hear your voice that Your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that Your Holy Spirit would show us. Are we the older brother? Are we the prodigal? Are we the one that has already been received home or the one who needs to be received home? The one that needs to come to our senses and run to Jesus. God, show us where we stand with You. Expose our hearts. Expose our motives. Right now. God, for those that identify with that older brother who look to their works, their good deeds, their performance... I pray that You would show them clearly that all of their good works are nothing but filthy rags in Your presence, that there is nothing, nothing that we can bring to the table. That You would tear down their religiosity, tear down their self-righteousness, and show them their utter bankruptcy without You. Help them to not not leave the feast agitated, but to come in. The older brother was invited in. He He was pleaded with to come in. God, if there's a prodigal here who came in smelling like the pig pen and is leaving this place this morning to go return to that pig pen, I pray that you would intercept them right now, that you would open their eyes, help them to come to their senses. Help them to see their sin as you see their sin. Help them to repent and to run to you and to receive the embrace, the kisses, and the forgiveness, and the lavish grace of Jesus. Help us to leave this place today knowing, assured, at peace, and thankful. And willing to tell others about it as you give opportunity. Has God spoken to you this morning as we continue in this state of prayer for just a moment? If God has spoken to you and you know whether you're religious or not religious or caught in between somewhere, and you know that God has revealed to you your need of forgiveness and grace, would you just call on the name of the Lord right now? Ask Him to forgive you. Turn from your sin. Call upon His name to forgive you. Call upon His name to save you, to change your life, to give you assurance and peace. With Him, cling to the promise of His lavish grace this morning. And if you do that, if you right now call upon His name, please, 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 before we leave this place, grab someone you trust. Grab me or Andy or Brett or Michael or Tom and tell them, I've come to find peace with God or I need peace with God. And we'll be glad to pray with you and and point you in the right direction. But don't leave here, go back to the pig pen, don't leave here agitated. Leave here at peace with Him.